Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Beautiful music, worshipful music. Thank you, Adam, and all your team. And I thank you, congregation, for your incredible welcome to me over this last year and a half of getting involved with congregational care. What a blessing you are to me. And Brother Al is a blessing to me, too. And I just want you to know you've got a, an amazing man that's your pastor, and uh, he's been so kind to me and Kim, and we do pray for a good rest and renewal. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed these last messages on Proverbs. They've taken notes and growing and maturing in that, and uh, I know you have too. Psalm 8, bring the glory down, lift his name up. <clears throat> bring the glory down, lift his name up. Psalm 8, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work, works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are already here. We thank you we sense your presence. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would give us a word today. Give us a word that would touch hearts and lives, bring healing for those who need healing and comfort for those who need comfort, conviction for those who need conviction. Oh, God, you are God. We worship and adore you. Your glory, we pray, will fill the earth. Bring your glory down, Lord. May we lift your name up high. In Jesus' name, amen. On first glance of this psalm, you could visualize David maybe lying on his back, holding his hands behind his head, or with his hands clasped behind his head, his staff across his body, and um, the sheep around him. He gazes up in the heavens, and we can guess that he it is at night because it doesn't talk about the sun it talks about the moon and the stars and before him is this if you've sat outside when there's not a lot of city lights you can kind of imagine that David sees this God's brilliant handmade jewelry just kind of spread across the night sky David also says in Psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So it seems that though, as though David has no care in the world. Many believe this psalm was composed when, just after David slew the great giant Goliath. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He knew the power of God already from his weakness to God's great strength. So from this point of view, all is well. But we know full well that in David's culture, 
And in our culture, all things are not well. God is not glorified fully. God's name is not majestic to all people. Nor do most people glorify God in any sense of the imagination. So we have a problem. The problem is God's name is not glorified, nor is his name lifted up. So why is that? Why is that in our particular culture? I would argue that many just reject the idea that there is a God. They recognize, and even those that do recognize there is a God, don't live like it. They don't understand his glorious nature. They don't understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not so much how bad we are, but how good we're not. We don't meet up to his glory. And so they reject what God has said about us, what God has said about mankind, men and women, who we are and how we came to exist. And so as Christians, we fight the battle, don't we? We talk to people, we share the gospel with people, we try to seek the incense of their lack of hope because of them thinking themselves as pond scum or something by chance. And we fight these things in bits and pieces, as Francis Schaeffer would say. On one front, we fight abortion. On another, we fight euthanasia. On another, we fight pornography or lawlessness. But we forget why the main foundation, the cultural foundation, is the problem. It has changed. It has changed when I was probably in big time when I was in college in 1974. And also we see it in Roe v. Wade. We see this, that man became the measure of all things, as Francis Schaeffer would say. Like a London fog seeping under our doors, Americans have kind of brought in, breathed in this Darwinian evolution, this macroevolution. We know that microevolution, the little things of the beaks of a bird and those kind of things, change for certain times, but, but not from one kind to another. But this is kind of swept under our door and crept into our minds, even in the minds of our children. But did not God create the world? Did not God make you and me in his own image? Did not God give us glory inside of us, give us the image of God inside of us? He did for Adam and Eve, but most people just look at themselves as a product of matter plus time plus chance. And if you really get down to it, if they think through the issue clearly, there is no hope, there is no purpose in life. And we saw that in history, in Marx, in Stalin, in Hitler and their thinking, killing millions of people. The man's morality dictates his philosophy. He wants to be immoral. He can do whatever he wants to. Measure man the measure of all things. And we see it in America. As Daria said, over 62 million children have been aborted and many sold for their body parts since Roe v. Wade in 1973. So what happened to the un, unborn's inalienable rights that is described in the Constitution of the United States? Is it possible that these 62 million children are crying out from heaven like the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Oh, Lord, how long? Is there a judge in heaven? 
people that believe in Darwin and his evolution, do not think they will be held accountable. Wayne Grudem says, If in fact life was not created by God, and if human beings in particular are not created by God or responsible to him, but are simply the result of random occurrences in the universe, then of what significance is human life? Are we merely the product of matter plus time plus chance? Honest reflection of this should lead people to a profound sense of despair. And I would encourage you, you can use that in your gospel sharing. Take them to the end of their way of thinking and then show them that man is made in God's image. Man is given. We have fallen, yes, but man, God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, has shed his blood that he might put back the glory of God in us. God created man in his own image, Genesis says. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And told us to be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. He also, Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do that? How do we get God's kingdom to come? How do we get the glory from heaven to come down? What can we do? Our little selves, what can we do? We seem so insignificant. That's the problem. The problem is man's view of himself and man's view of God. How can we bring God's glory down and lift his name up? I would propose there are three characteristics that will help us bring the glory of God onto the earth and lift his name up. First, God's name is glorified through God's people with childlike faith. Emphasis on faith. God's name is glorified with, through God's people with a childlike faith. Early in Jesus' ministry, he spoke to his disciples. Remember, the children were coming to him, the disciples were kind of pushing them aside, and Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Here is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. You feel like a child? Come to Jesus. You feel like a child? Come to him now. I thank thee. How do you, how do, why do you say that? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 26, I thank you, Father Jesus, praying, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So in some sense that Jesus is calling us to come to him like a child, a trust, a childlike trust to him. It is a type of faith, trusting him like you would to a good father, trusting him to come to him. Not childish, but childlike. When my two boys, Tommy and Daniel, were very young, they were, I don't forget their ages, but they're about that high and that high, <laughs> um, they, they had heard the word abortion. And, I, and they said, Daddy, what is abortion? And I was trying to be careful not to be so gory with the details, and I, I began to say, well, it's when a mom has a baby inside of her and she really doesn't want that baby and she gets somebody to help her to make that baby die. And all of a sudden, my little young one looked up to me and to my older son, and his name is Tommy. Daniel said to Tommy, that's wrong. And I'm going to get Tommy elected president and we're going to change that rule. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. 
because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Psalm 8, verse 2. God's power is made perfect in weakness. If you're seeking to gain power, be weak. If you're seeking to gain glory, you'll never get it. But if you die to yourself, if you die to your great wishes, your self-worth, if you want to say it, and let God come in and transform you, how do we do it? There's three th stages of faith that I found in God's Word. There may be more. There may be other ways of expressing it. But I, three stages of faith from lesser to greater would be nursing babies, growing children, and walking, fighting soldiers. Stage one is like 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that, it may, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You could call this the born-again stage, the baby Christian stage. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get God's word in your heart. Get God's word in your mind. Let it transform you. Read God's word. Study God's word. Meditate. Memorize God's word. Let it flow through you. And God's name will be glorified as you speak the word of God through other, to others as you're filled with his spirit. As nursing babes, long with the milk. Secondly, as growing children, gurgle God's praise. That's what we do in a sense. I, we sound beautiful to me, but I, I don't know what it sounds like to God. I mean, he, you know, it may be sound like a gurgling to him, but he loves the praise of children. In Matthew 26, 21, 6, remember the story. He's coming into Jerusalem, and, and all of a sudden, the, the Pharisees are around, and and the children are saying, Hosanna to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hosanna to the Son of David. And the Pharisees indignantly say, Do you hear these children, Jesus? And he goes, What they're saying? Yes, he says, But have you never read? And he quotes Psalm 2. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Now, instead of established strength, Jesus says you have prepared praise. And so, how, does that, how is it different there? Is there something significant about that? I, what I want to say is that when we praise our God, our strength grows because we focus on His greatness and not on our weakness. His greatness and not on our weakness. And what happens is the Lord abides in the praise of His people. You sense His power and have His power within us and outside of us and all around us. I like what C.S. Lewis said. I did not see that it is... Remember, he was an atheist, former atheist, and came to Christ. I did not see that it is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. We praise what we value, and we urge others to join us in the praising. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. So the praise of God establishes strength. And it, it, it puts down... It steals the enemy, the avenger, in our thoughts. When you're struggling, praise the Lord. When you're worried, praise the Lord. When you're desperate, praise God. So as little babies, as walking children, now as walking soldiers, stay under. And we're going a little deeper here. Walking soldiers stay under authority to gain his authority and enabling power from Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 to 10. Why don't you turn there, Matthew 8. 8 to 10. When he had heard, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. <clears throat> and he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to 
have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, emphasis there, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. So what is he talking about here? This is such faith. This is great faith, greater faith, and this is where we want to be. What he's saying is this soldier by himself had nothing. He couldn't say go. He couldn't say do this. But under the power of Rome, under the power of Caesar, he could say, go. He could say, do this. So he had submitted under the power, and he had the authority. Under authority, he, we have authority. <clears throat> I visualize it because I backpacked Europe when I was younger, and um, you don't have much authority when you do that, <laughs> hardly any. But just suppose that you were a United States ambassador, you go over there with the authority of the full United States. Under authority, we have authority. And what does that mean to us? When we give our whole self to God and have the lordship of Christ over us, we have his power. We have his enabling power. We have his authority because we have the spirit of God inside of us. We have the enabling power of God and the authority of God. And, there's, and the result, as nursing babies, growing children, walking soldiers... God's power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said it in Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So, when we can do that, what do we have? We have a crescendo of praise. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So God's name is glorified through those who long for his word, who gurgle his praise, who stay under authority to gain his enabling power, who are under the lordship of Christ. Secondly, God's name is glorified through accepting the dignity of our inheritance as image bearers of God's glory. Verses 3 through 8. Turn back to Psalm 8. Now, <clears throat> picture David again, back in the field with his sheep and shepherd's staff. And he looks up into the stars of the sky and he sees the beauty of it, the brilliance of it, the heavenly jewelry spread across the sky. And he says in verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, <clears throat> the moon and the stars which you have set in place. If we really take notice of that and just get a feel for that, we would go, like David, well, who am I? Who am I to be able to do anything? When we see our culture, our world spinning out of control, what good can I do, this insignificant person that I am? And he goes on in verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? So he points out the high, how high a place of man. His nature is a little less than divine beings. In verse, what does he say? Verse 4, What is man? that you're mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. Yet, in verse 5, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So, in this case, we, we can't, at first, in David, as we study David, we, don't, we can't really tell this, but in, later on, we'll look at Hebrews in just a minute, Hebrews 2. This is a messianic psalm. 
it looks like us in some ways that he's talking about us. And it may be, in a sense, before the fall that we are made a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. But after the fall, where are we? But we know that Jesus, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, why don't you turn over there to Hebrews chapter 2. Which the writer of Hebrews quotes. He says, For it is not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere in Psalm 8, verse 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Emphasis, at present we do not see everything in subjection to him, yet, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So in a sense, we see the dignity of our position. In Christ, we see the dignity of our position, and we see it instead of like the beast, a little higher than the beast, just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. But what we see is our world believing that we're like the beast. And we see it with the New York legislature clapping over passing a bill that would allow babies in the womb to be aborted and those in full term, up to full term to die if the doctor seems that it's, say that it's right. What atheistic babble. Yes, it might make us angry, but we also should weep. Weep over men and women so hardened by sin and so deceived by our enemy to think that even that we are have glory and honor, but we think of ourselves as beasts. We're above the beast, way above the beast, and we're just below the heavenly beings. Secondly, with the dignity of our crown and glory, because of Christ, before the fall, we were made in God's image, crowned with, him, with glory, crowned with splendor and majesty. The scripture says in in Psalm 104, it's talking about God. You, God, are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. And so I visualize possible that Adam and Eve were clothed with light. And so when they fell, the radiance of God's glory was gone. And what happened? God, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, and God covered them with the garments of an animal. For there is, without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And we mentioned this already, that God says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all has sinned and fallen, what? Short of the glory of God. So how can we get it back? How do we get the glory back? It was prophesied in Daniel 7 about the Son of Man. It says, I saw in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. He was like a son of man. He came before the ancient of days. And what did the ancient days say? He gave him 
dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus came. What did he call himself? Eighty times he called himself the Son of Man. This is the Son of Man who came. It was talked about in Daniel that was like a Son of Man. Came before the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days gave him dominion, gave him power, gave him glory, gave him everlasting dominion. The only way we get back the glory in our lives is to take on the Son, is to receive the glory of Christ. His glory. John 1.14 we have seen his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul describes it in Colossians 1, 27. Christ, 27 and 29. Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. It's the already but not yet. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. All Christians are indwelled by the Spirit of God, but not all Christians are filled. Not all Christians have have the Lordship of Christ on a daily basis, confessing their sin, taking in the Spirit of God daily, trusting in Him daily. And I would say with Kent Hughes, if we begin to see our destiny, if we begin to see who we really are in Christ, what a mighty army is before me. Just think, if every single person in this room was filled with God's Spirit, walk out that door, and every area of influence you have you are careful, you weep over your sin, you weep over the sin of others, and you speak truth into the hearts of people very carefully, very kindly, very gently. God's glory came down in Christ. Christ ascended to the Father, and he sent his Holy Spirit in us. For me to live is in Christ, is Christ and to die is gain. We saw this glory in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The cloud, the cylindrical cloud and by the day and the great glorious fire by night. And what does God say or what is in, his, in his word in 1 Corinthians 6? Or do you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Paul describes us as treasures. We have this treasure in jars of clay, in earthen vessels. I like to call it, and other people do too, crack pots. <laughs> I picture, remember the, the story of the crack pot that had water in it, and the lady, that's all she had. So she'd fill it up with water, and she would go by her path. And, and it was very discouraging for her because she'd have to go so much, but it dripped water. Well, later on, she realized that she was watering flowers, and there's beautiful fruit. I see us as crack pots, broken, needing healing, filled with God's Spirit, filled with His glory, letting that light shine out into a lost and dying world. The already, but not yet. Then I see the dignity of our dominion. Above all else, God calls us to reality far above anything we can imagine. Anything that you could imagine. He calls us to be someone who we can only be in His power. He wants you to be the best through your personality, yes, but filled with His Spirit, anointed with Him in such a way, filled with His glory. Maybe you're a crack pot, but letting the light flow out of you. The first Adam failed, and if you follow in His steps, you will fail too if you live for yourself. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, succeeded. And what did the Heavenly Father say? He put all things under 
his feet. Dominion of all things. That means dominion over your own sin. They're already, but not yet. Not fully, probably, most likely, not fully. But the things you're struggling with in God's power can be overcome. All your worry, all your bitterness, all your moral impurity, all your greed, all your fretting. And then you'll be prepared to have dominion over your area of life, to be blessed by God, to touch lives and hearts. What did this look like in Christ's life on this earth? What did he do? He gave us a few glimpses of this. He gave us glimpses of his dominion over all creatures, all creation while living. What did he do? He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He brought tax money, pulled tax money out of a fish's mouth. He withered a fig tree. He turned water into wine. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He brought the fish into Peter's net until it was breaking. He healed the lame, the sick, the blind. He raised the dead to life. And you say, well, I'm not Jesus. But he says, he promises that we will do greater things than he did. How do we do that? How in the world can you and I do greater things than Jesus Christ did? Only with Jesus in us. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The resurrection power of God. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is in us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look back at Hebrews 2, verse 8. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Verse 8 says, This promise, though not yet true of us fully, we have received its fulfillment in Jesus. Abraham Kuyper says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! 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 You're made in God's image. You're made to reveal His glory. You're made to represent him, to be the ambassador for him. While under his authority, you have great authority and power. We do not see yet everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. So what was true of man in promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. He came in a dirty manger. He lived in this world. He died on that cross. He took your sin, my sin. The enemy wrote it on a, in a sense on a piece of paper and Jesus grabbed your sin and my sin past, present, and future and he stretched out his hands and died. He was buried and raised from the grave. He ascended to the Father. He is seated at the position of authority and power right now, praying and interceding for you, wanting you to be healed, wanting you to be, to, to be his, all his, <clears throat> mine. Now we have received this supernatural life, this supernatural God life. It says in 2 Peter 1, we are partakers of the divine nature. Christ in us. And we share this dominion over all creation. If we are filled with His Spirit, if we are walking in His Spirit, He came and proved what life was supposed to look like. What life, your life and my life, is supposed to look like. Pure and holy path to glory and honor. 
He is exalted at the right hand of the Father in power. He gained back the dominion that we lost. Will you not give up your life? And then you will find your life. F.F. Bruce says, We are assured of the hope bound up with the indwelling Christ, His risen life within us, the already but not yet. Partial fulfillment now of the glory that we will share in the fullness of His glory on the day of the revealing of the sons of God from Romans 8, 19. So God's name is glorified through God's people with a childlike faith. God's name, too, God's name is glorified through accepting the dignity of our inheritance as image bearers of God's glory. And thirdly and lastly, God's name is glorified through God-empowered stewards. Under authority, we have authority. We were given authority, Adam and Eve was given authority and dominion, but they lost it. They had dominion over the fish and the fowl and the cattle, the land and the sea and the sky, over all creation, and they lost it. And Jesus brought it back. Jesus has given us the dominion over our area of influence. And as God's steward, he calls us and empowers us to bring his glory into every sphere of your influence, every sphere of my influence. As chemists, we practice the study and apply chemistry for his glory. As engineers, we apply God's mathematical and mechanical principles worked into the created order by God himself. As nurses and doctors and health cares, we study the amazing creation of the physical body and compassionately work to bring healing and comfort to the sick. As widows and widowers, we show to the watching, to the watching world a trust in our Heavenly Father's provisions and companionship. As teachers, we seek to nourish the minds and hearts of the students under our care. As students, we study and learn and write papers for God's glory. All of life is spiritual. And our work is not to be done because of money. It's not to be governed by what we will make, where we'll make the most money. For you students, don't be thinking about that. Or even bring great status or even most powerful positions. Instead, it becomes where and how can I bring God's glory and his, God's kingdom and his glory to the world? No matter who we are or what we do, we are called to engage in this culture. I had the privilege in the 80s, the early 80s, to be around Francis Schaeffer. He was dying of cancer, and he was living in um, Rochester, Minnesota. And I would drive down from Minneapolis to his, have a, his Bible studies. And one day he had a Bible study for the Mayo Clinic doctors. And I obviously kept my mouth real shut. <laughs> And um, just listened. And they were asking questions, and they were, at the time, this is 1980, <clears throat> the time they were talking about in vitro fertilization. And they were asking Dr. Schaefer if that was okay. And Dr. Schaefer asked a few questions and said, one of the questions he asked was, he said, is there anything lost when you put the egg in the sperm and then put it in the Petri dish? And the doctor says, no, not really. And Dr. Schaefer thought for a moment, and he said, well, as long as it's husband and wife, that's okay. But if it's not, it's adultery. And I thought, 
whoa, I wouldn't even had that thought at the time. Now there's greater issues now with in vitro fertilization. How many eggs? Hopefully not only one because there's just two. This, is, this little thing is made in God's image. We must be the ones that stand for life. God has made us in his image and we must stand up no matter if it costs us our job or not. How do we do it? How do we do it? Understanding that we're made in God's image, understanding that we have the glory of God in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the resurrected power of God. And we realize that all life is sacred, all life regardless of age. The unborn from conception to birth, the elderly whose mind and body no longer function well, from the womb to the tomb, all people, all stages, bear God's image. All of life, regarding, regardless of capacity, the infirm of body and physical handicaps, the infirm of mind and mental handicaps, regardless of capacities and abilities, all people bear God's image. All of life, regardless of race, white, black, red, yellow, all equally bear God's image and must be treated equally as image bearers of God. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in God's sight. All of life, regardless of status, the alien within our borders, the prisoner within our penal systems, the welfare dependent, the homeless, regardless of status, all equally bear God's image and are treated as such. And when people walk in the door of our church, we seek to treat them as that when they come in with a need, and you're so gracious to give, and we help them, and we share the gospel with them. I put a little dot there, and I said, this is your life right now. And it looks bad, maybe, for now, and you've got worries and frets and struggles. And, but I said, then I draw a line off the page, and I say, but that's eternity. And that's what I want to talk to you about right now. God loves you and desires you to be transformed. Your sin to be covered by his blood. Your Holy Spirit in, comes inside of you and you give him the lordship of your life. All of life, regardless of personality or temperament, the kind-hearted, the cheerful, the grumpy, the irritable. Someone said, you know, that, that person says he's a Christian, but he's so grumpy. And the guy goes, well, you should have seen him before he became a Christian. <laughs> the mean and the malicious, the irritable, the fair and the unfair, regardless of temperament, all are made in God's image, marred though it may be. God's Word teaches us to view our fellow man and thus instructs us how to view our fellow man, instructs us on racial justice, abortion, gender roles, and all the issues of life. The answers are not always easy or clear, but God's Word is sufficient. It makes us wise and equips us for every good work. It will give us the principles that we need to apply to these issues if we'll just seek and wrestle honestly before God. The first Adam and his wife Eve were given dominion over the earth for a while, and they blew it. Before that, they brought glory to God, but they had rejected God's authority. And now the descendants of Adam, us, rebellious even when you're babies. 
But Christ, who Scripture refers as the second Adam, came and he regained what Adam lost. For a little while, Jesus came and was a little lower than the angels. I don't know if that affects you like me, but God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son came as a little baby. The Father allowed him, and the Spirit of God wooed him and cared for him and walked with him. He suffered. He knew no sin, but took our sin. He died in our place. The sacrificial death, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice for us. And maybe there's some here of you that need to start this journey today. We start it right now. And you think, well, I need to clean my act up. I need to clean myself. No, no. Come just as you are. Come just as you are. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. Some of you need to start this journey today by coming to Him, by trusting in Him, by allowing Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit, to transform you, to change you, to give you the life, the new life, to be crowned with glory and honor. Now one day Christ will return and His people will reign over this restored earth. It says that we will even judge the angels. Can you imagine that? Judge the angels. And the whole earth will be full of his glory. And on that day, we will say, as Psalm 8, the last verse, verse 9, says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. But until that day, let us work, let us reveal as cracked pots the Lord's glory in every sphere of influence where we are. Let us labor according to his power and bring Christ's name, his dominion, to every sphere of our life. Let us bring his glory down for all to see. Let us bring his glory down for all to see to reveal God in you and God in me. Let's pray. Lord, we just cry out to you. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You shed your blood for us, and we are so grateful. You're an amazing God. Oh God, oh God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, may they say, oh Lamb of God, I come and trust in the blood of Christ for their sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some, Lord, that are wayward. Oh God, touch their heart now. Let them see the enabling power of God. Maybe they're struggling with various issues and don't see any way out. But, oh God, we know, filled with your Spirit, that we have all the power we need to overcome anything in our life and to be revealing the glory of God to other people. Lord, touch hearts and lives. Thank you for being here today, Lord, in your presence. Lord, we thank you for each one here. May we go out that door revealing the glory of God to others, the radiance of his glory, the radiance of your glory, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.